Um, but yeah, I was in Africa with my family and we ended up doing 10 days of safari, which was a lot. It was exhausting, but it was amazing. And then we ended um, like on this beachy island called Zanzibar, which mm-hmm. um, a lot of people don't know this and I didn't know this, but Freddie Mercury was born and raised there. <laughs> There's a whole uh, museum that's so funny that's so funny the guy our tour guide was like you know freddie mercury you're so young and i was like well <laughs> pretty big name in the states yeah. especially because the movie just came out about him but yes yeah so it was um crazy i kind of went off the grid a little bit like i didn't have very good internet so yeah. it was nice to just take a step back and spend time with my family and see all the animals up close and personal yeah, the pictures you were taking, I was just, I felt like I was with you. Yeah. And I also, once I came to the realization that I wasn't, I was really bummed because the fact that you were so up close and personal with these animals, it was amazing. Like the zebras and the the hyenas and yeah. the cute little lion sleeping in the tree. I was like, yeah. is this even real? Like this feels like something I should be seeing on National Geographic. Like yeah. the photos you took were insane. I know. So. The whole time we were in the car, I just was envisioning like someone narrating everything yep. that was going on, like a yeah. documentary. And I was like, but this is real life. Yep, exactly. Really, I'm really here. Yeah. Really yeah, out my, here. Yep. My mom was uh, looking at all the photos you were posting and she was like, we have to do this. And yeah. so now my parents want to plan a trip <laughs> next yeah. summer. Definitely a once in a lifetime mm-hmm. type of type of thing. Definitely. Yeah. Now I'm back, back to reality and back to work. And yeah, it's so great. Boring. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey. hey, welcome to Urban Planning is Not Boring. I'm Sam and I'm Nat. Um, we have actually a really not boring topic today. Yes, ma'am. Um, which is fitting for our name. But today we're going to be talking about this concept of the 15 minute city. And I'll just do a little overview of it before we dive into discussing the topic. But so it was developed by Professor Carlos Moreno at the, I, I'm going to butcher all these pronunciations, but he's in Paris. And basically it is a concept or a theory where um, urban necessities are within a 15 minute reach on um, like walking or by bike. And so it's like working, going to the grocery store, any entertainment, um, clinics or healthcare schools should all be pretty much available within a 15 minute walk or bike. Um, and it's, he calls it like this new relationship between citizens and the rhythm of life in cities where a lot of cities have kind of become car dependent or at least um, have kind of, I don't know, really know how the best way to say this, but they've like determined like proximity based on like vehicle time or distance or like accessibility if you have a car, but he kind of wants to flip the narrative to turn it more into okay how but how can you reach these things on foot or by bike yeah Um, 
we're basically designing cities based on cars and not based on people. And I think that's, that's what you were trying to say. Yeah. The reason that I wanted to talk about this topic specifically was because of this award that it won, I think the Obel or Obel award. And it's an international prize for architecture that honors recent and outstanding architectural contributions to human development all over the world. And this project is actually only the third one to win this award because it started in 2019 and this was the 2021 winner. And I think that's, you know, pretty prestigious given that it's an international prize. Definitely. Uh, And so the model itself, as I said, supports a decentralized city and a basically a mode shift away from privatized vehicles um, towards walking and biking, and then at the same time, reducing fossil fuels and increasing quality of life for citizens. And so that was like a quick overview of this topic. So basically, you know, it's just this move towards a more accessible city and a more people-centric city. Yeah. And I think when I was kind of reading about this, a lot of what was being discussed was this isn't a push to stick every single person in a 15-minute city and require that they stay because the concept is that these would become districts essentially. And so everything would be within a 15 minute distance of within these districts. And it's not to force people into these districts and say, hey, we're going to stick you here and you can never leave. <laughs> but it is to give an alternative option for people who do not want to rely on their vehicles mm-hmm. and to start the conversation of what does it look like to start planning for people versus planning around cars and planning for vehicles? And so I think that's something that I can really get behind because I really do admire a lot of like urban planning theories when they're brought forward and they're meant to be kind of a model to look after, try to replicate if you can, but it doesn't have to be a mirror image of the theory itself. You can do things, you know, in so many different ways to just try to implement smaller aspects of it. It doesn't have to be the entire thing. So I think that's one thing that I did really like about the way they framed the 15 minute city. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that segues nicely into this, this first kind of point that I wanted to bring up, but I was reading an article and the author um, kind of outlines that friction that you're talking about between, or she says the friction between personal confinement and public benefit. And so what this um, professor that kind of created this concept and coined this term 15 minute city says is we don't want to oblige people to stay in the 15 minute district. We don't want to recreate a village. We want to create a better urban organization. And so like highlighting that this isn't supposed to be something that confines you to one area. It's not supposed to limit you to just going to that one grocery store that is in your district or your kids have to go to the one school in your district. Like it just right. wants to give the option right. to stay within that kind of district or at least have the option to, you know, walk or bike if you if you just choose to do. Yeah, it was interesting too because there's also this new, you know, discussion where a lot of people thought the 15 minute theory 
or a 15 minute district or city theory coin was coined during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But this actually happened a very long time ago. The theory was, was not uh, due to the pandemic, but they, they do mention that they don't want people to feel that in order to run to the grocery store really quickly, they have to get in their car and drive 20 minutes to their nearest grocery store or drive 15 minutes just to get like a couple things. Mm-hmm. They want to make it that, okay, Hey, I need, you know, some vegetables or I forgot some cilantro to top on my burrito bowl. <laughs> and so I need, I have to go to the grocery store. Like you don't have to get in your car to do that. You can just walk mm-hmm. to your grocery store. And I think that's something that they were kind of discussing, um, as a real, you know, the, the framework of what a 15 minute city is really meant to be. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny because where I, so I'm at home right now, like my childhood home and we live very close to a grocery store, but we are in a very hilly area. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is not, I'm saying, yes, sometimes we are definitely lazy and we could walk to the store and get the milk or whatever we need and come home. But I think that this is an interesting, um, example where it's we are you know there's hills everywhere so to ride a bike or to like be a person that you know is in a wheelchair or a kid or some an elderly person it's hard to navigate these hills sometimes so I don't know I think that there's definitely a lot of exceptions and a lot of obviously it's not just there's one right way to do it and so I think that that's something that always has to be kept in mind with these type of things as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm the same way, just like you. I also live a five minute drive from a grocery store, except, and so I could definitely walk, but, um, I live on the largest hill (laughs) (laughs) ever. And the thought of like carrying groceries and Mm -hmm. walking up, like this is, I'm not even being dramatic. Like this is a very steep hill a lot of people like walk this hill for exercise, like to build endurance. So so I could not imagine just carrying my groceries to get up there. So I think it's also really important to keep in mind, especially from a planning perspective, you know, someone in a wheelchair is not going to be able to walk down my street, let, or I'm sorry, it's not going to be able to, you know, move properly down my street and then get their way back up this steep hill in a wheelchair. That's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think there, there are places where a 15 minute city is going to work and there are other places where it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just something that, you know, from a planning perspective, you do have to cater this kind of framework to what is possible, not, oh, here's this really great theory. And now we're going to put it everywhere. You know, we can possibly think of, mm-hmm. well, no, you need to actually it needs to be applicable to the location and, you know, it has to, it has to fit in properly within a, within the context of the community. It can't just be placed, you know, wherever you want it to. Cause sometimes it just things like that don't work out. Sometimes the, the urban form and the structure of our sidewalks and streets, it, it can't accommodate something like that. Yeah. I think before we kind of jump into any implications that this theory might have when applied, it's, I don't know. I think it's just important to like recognize that the, I think that the ideas behind this theory are really strong, obviously. Absolutely. This award, it's like very well recognized. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think for the greater, 
good and to kind of take cities in the direction that we want them to be, it's great to be applied. But yeah, it's just not a hard and fast rule. Absolutely. Yeah. No. No, I think honestly, ideally, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. Like if we could literally strike like our all the cities, like tear everything down. Start over. (laughs) Yeah. Just if we were able to start over, this is something that we would we should want to get behind is to to design cities like this. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, like you said, we already have, you know our cities and a lot of infrastructure that's in existence. And so there, there are going to be some implications and those are positive and negative. And we'll talk about those a little bit more. Yeah. So uh, we can talk about some of the positive implications that these uh, 15 minute cities could have in, I guess, these districts and these wider regions. Um, one of them that I actually hadn't thought of before I guess specifically um, is this, I guess I had thought of it, but just not in these terms, but socioeconomic, um, socioeconomically equitable because those without a car could easily access their needs. Yeah. Um, I guess I thought about it for just, yeah, like not in those exact terms. Got it. Yeah. Um, Another one, obviously this need for like single occupancy vehicles and other forms of fossil fueled powered um, transportation is minimized. And so that will help to mitigate global warming and other climatic changes. Um, Human powered transportation. So like people are moving, people are getting exercise. We're not stagnant or just not moving ever because if you think about the normal work day you're in your car and then you're in your desk and then you're in your car and then you're on your couch so yeah definitely promotes movement and then convenience is a big one just not in terms of like getting in your car but just all of the things that you need being in your immediate vicinity and then boosting the local economy so when you have more footfall you probably have more people going into shops and shopping locally. So, right. I think those are some of the main potential positive implications that I came across when I was kind of reading more in depth about this concept. Yeah. And then, um, kind of on the more negative side, <laughs> just to be a bit negative. Yeah. Just to be a Debbie um, Downer. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. Uh, we can't have it all. Um, so, <laughs> So essentially not everyone is going to have the opportunity to choose a home close to their preferred industry or, or job site. Um, so one thing that I kind of thought about when, when analyzing the 15 minute city is often people are, are choosing their homes outside of the urban core away from their jobs, not Mm -hmm. because they want that, not because they want the 45 minute commute, but because that's really all they can afford. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there is going to be some kind of challenges where can you design the 15 minute city to accommodate everybody's job? Yeah. Um, that's unlikely Mm -hmm. unless you were literally building in the downtown core but there's still so many jobs that end up being left out. Yeah. Um, so that's one kind of challenge. 
Um, yeah, I was just going to say related to that, I was reading something and it was interesting because I, okay, I'm not a housing person. Mm-hmm. Like traditionally, that's not my forte. But this article is talking about property values and how typically people want to work in an area where property values are high, but they want to live in an area where property values are low, just Mm -hmm. in terms of affordability versus like economic productivity where they're working. And so this person was talking about how this concept of a 15 minute city kind of defies this like economic norm and how that could ever work. Yeah. Obviously, I don't know the answer. This author didn't know the answer, but it is like what you're saying where I live in a suburb, like my parents live in a suburb and you live in a suburb and Mm -hmm. oftentimes like just like getting more, like more bang for your buck for lack of a better term is in the suburb. Mm -hmm. So it is interesting, like how will this ever work? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that it becomes the consideration of who are these 15 minute cities designed for now, if I'm somebody who is younger, I make a bit more money and I work in the downtown area where this might be a little bit easier to implement Mm -hmm. where possibly we could have pedestrian only corridors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it could be possible, Mm -hmm. but then we're leaving out individuals who possibly can't afford the luxury of a 15 minute city. Now that's not to say that we couldn't have income restricted, affordable housing in a 15 minute city. Mm -hmm. If, you know, city planners and developers were willing to do something like that, that's possible. But I think that also gets into some of the implications of the possibilities for gentrification with something like a 15 minute city, Mm -hmm. because what you're building is convenience. And often with convenience also can come these kinds of wants and desires for luxury. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, you know, with a 15 minute city, you're building the housing to start and you're also considering, you know, we're going to put a grocery store and we're going to put a healthcare facility and we're going to put a school. Well, what kind of grocery store is that going to be? And is that grocery store possibly going to be considered luxury or, you know, something that's such a sought after good that it could possibly gentrify a community, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because I do often sometimes worry that with a lot of new things that come to, to surface, especially with housing, mm-hmm. and I'll say this just in a lot of the stuff that I've been seeing, especially with housing and especially in downtown areas, you have developers that come in and they say, okay, I'm going to build this really amazing project. Right. And they're like, oh, we're going to put so much housing here. And then on the bottom level of the housing, we're going to do mixed, uh, mixed use. Mm -hmm. So mixed use housing, and you're going to put either retail or you'll put some type of commercial space. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes they'll put a grocery store and that grocery store is a whole foods. Mm -hmm. Well, then you need to consider who is this development for? Yeah. And I think that's my fear sometimes is that is the theory of a 15 minute city going to take hold and then a developer is going to come and they're going to say, oh, I would love to design this 15 minute city. But a lot of what they're designing is for individuals that are not individuals without cars. Yeah but individuals that are going to be able to afford this, you know, luxury convenient experience of a 15 minute city. That's something that I worry about. Um, especially with, you know, things like this tend to become trendy 
that's something I just have fear over. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's horrible. I don't think it's a, an idea that needs to be knocked, but I hope when planners do try to take hold and really push this forward, that they do so intentionally and they're considering who they need to be serving. Cause it Mm -hmm. can't just be, you know, folks that work in the urban core and are probably making really good money. And so they say, oh, okay, well, we found this, you know, really great, like little niche market where we can charge really great rent and, you know, we can put the whole foods in there and people are going to be able to spend money on that. You're essentially isolating a specific group of people away from another. Um, And so it's, it's something to consider. It's an implication to consider. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it's a fear of mine personally with something like this, mm-hmm. where not that I would say we should never do it, mm-hmm. that we would have to be extremely careful mm-hmm. because I've seen so often developers come in and, you know, there's a request for a proposal and a developer comes in with a proposal and it's just like, why are you putting a Whole Foods in a predominantly low-income neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. And who are you actually building that for? Yeah, it kind of makes me think of Culver City. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that area has been, there's been a lot of investment into that area in the past. I, I honestly don't know how long. I just know from talking to people who are familiar with the area, it has yeah. changed a lot as of late. And yeah. they just put Ivy Station in, which is this big housing project right on the Expo line. Okay. And it has a hotel and housing, and it's literally like, literally right next to the Expo line. Mm-hmm. And it's luxury. Like, it's really nice. I, when my lease was up, I was like, I'm just curious mm-hmm. what a one bedroom or studio would be. It was like upwards of thirty four, three thousand to $3,500 for a one bedroom. Yeah. And I do think at least from my experience in Culver city between transit walking and biking, it is trying to be a more um, like people friendly place. Like I, I volunteered to like paint curb extensions so that there was, you know, bigger bike lanes and more sidewalk space. And there is a lot of activity, but it's just so expensive now. Right. And when you walk around, there's, you know, there's a Phil's coffee and there's a salt and straw and like there's a Trader Joe's and it's, I don't know. It, it does make me think it's great that they're putting like transit oriented development, Mm -hmm. you know, projects in, but they are so inaccessible (laughs) to the majority of the population. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing we we are trying to be intentional with building transit oriented development. That's, and that's important. It's not to, to say that that's, you know, Oh God, like, why are you doing that? I think that's great. But sometimes I feel that that initial intention gets kind of lost Mm -hmm. and this design takes over. That's like, because at the end of the day, we have to be sympathetic. Developers are trying to make a profit. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, if you're not a nonprofit developer or you don't have, you know, specialized funding, you are not going to be able to build a project and be okay with taking no profit from it. So for-profit developers, you know, that's their goal. They're trying to make money. Mm -hmm. And 
they have to make sure that the project is able to work for their pro forma. And we've talked about, we'll do, uh, again, Sam and I have said, we'll do a whole episode on pro formas, but developers have to make sure that the pro forma is going to work out and that the project is going to be viable. And so to developers, if that means raising rents and that someone's going to pay those rents, they'll do it. Mm -hmm. That's a problem though, because you then are building housing for a very specific group of people. Not to say that that's a bad thing necessarily, because the more housing and the more supply of housing we build, mm-hmm. then just price goes down in general because mm-hmm. you're 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 able to meet demand. Yeah. But that doesn't happen when we've got such limited supply, and then yeah. you're only supplying housing for one income group, and then yeah. there's no other supply for other income groups. So, you know, it, it does become the concept of affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Are you putting affordable housing in your projects? It's really important. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there are a lot of nuances to something like this. Mm -hmm. And I remember in one of my urban design classes, we were, uh, we had to essentially critique certain development projects that have happened Mm -hmm. around the city of Los Angeles. And this one group chose a project and I'm, I can't remember the name I'm going to try to, but this project was in a predominantly commercial corridor. So often, uh, cities have certain zoning designations where you have height limits. Mm -hmm. You can negotiate out of your height limits. You have to do that through, I believe you have to apply to do that, or you have to, um, go in front of uh, the city or you have to do some some sort of uh, proposal to the city as to why you should get out of that high requirement. And then also if you're near transit, you are allowed to build even higher um, or you get a, something called a density bonus, um, which just means you get to build higher up. Um, so this project in a predominantly commercial corridor and they built like a 20 story project, housing project. It had, it was in a predominantly low-income community. It was 20 stories. It had a Whole Foods on the bottom and it had no affordable housing. You are completely disregarding the existing community. Mm-hmm. That's when planning becomes such a problem. In what, like to what planner did that make sense? I really have no idea. Who approved that? I have no idea. Why did they do that? No idea whatsoever. You thought that the Whole Foods was going to generate good income? Sure, maybe. Maybe that's what you wanted. Mm -hmm. But you just completely disregarded the entire context of the community and what they needed and what they should have had as existing community members. Mm -hmm. You just stuck a luxury apartment building and and some Whole Foods and you're charging, you know, three to four thousand dollar rents. That's ridiculous. So with a 15 minute city, it has to be that you're considering the the community context. Mm-hmm. It's just so essential. Yeah. And yeah, you and I were talking about how earlier, how it may not be applicable everywhere, but I think there are smaller things that we can do. And I think we're seeing that like parklets are becoming a really big thing. Yeah. Parklets are a concept derived from a 15 minute city. Bike lanes, like increasing bike lanes, that Mm -hmm. is essentially from the theory of a 15 minute city. Yeah. Cutting off certain streets and making them pedestrian only, that's a part of a 15 
in a city. So I don't think you have to necessarily just do every single aspect of the 15 minute city. I think you can do small things and it would make a big difference. Yeah. There's so many, like, there's so much nuance to this. I feel like we could do like different episodes about just (laughs) how like constrict, like how constrained we are by like a zoning code. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you want to put a 15 minute city? Actually, this is only zoned for like yeah. this residential and you can't like it, there are so many constraints that are already in place. Definitely. I just feel like there's there's a lot to unpack that we're not going to be able to get into. Absolutely. And yeah, but it's, it's just a thought. Yeah, it's, <laughs> actually, we should definitely do an episode just on zoning in general, because yeah. I also think, you know, city of Los Angeles, their zoning is different. State of California zoning is different. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's definitely something to to talk about just separately. Yeah. But even me and Sam before this, we we're talking about how like one concept when I was reading about the 15 minute city was take a school playground and close it. And on the weekends, like when nobody's in school, open it up as a public park. Mm-hmm. How simple. We literally have the existing infrastructure. It's yeah. already built and you just have to open the gates and let it be a public park. <laughs> you can, you know, I, yeah. obviously it's not that simple, but I think there, there are ways that you can implement certain things from a 15 minute city that could be so beneficial for a community. Yeah, absolutely. And it would help with our like park inequity just to yeah. like have, I live in LA within pro- close proximity to like three different schools. Yeah. And I live near a giant park. So it would just be like this park haven if they would exactly. do that. Yeah. Have you ever, <clears throat> have you ever seen, there's this really funny video. It's a guy that like, can't, I don't know his name. I believe he's a comedian and he like walks around New York city and like oh, asks Billy people. He, like, yes. Billy Eichner. I love yes. that man. Yes. It's so funny. So do you remember he has this one woman that he, uh, sees quite often on the streets of New York city. Like they've had multiple encounters and he asks her like, Hey, um, you know what, like, what do you love? And mm-hmm. she's like, I just love parks and clean air and just yeah. open space. And I'm like, same. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's not just, asking that much. Exactly. Like there are ways it's actually almost funny to think about because this is really not to knock current planners or existing planners. I think they're doing, you know, a good job based on, you know, what they're, what they're given. But I think we really need to start thinking outside of the box. Like we don't even have to build a new park. Just utilize what we already have. And let's do, let's do that. Yeah. Is that really like, I'm not trying to say that planners are doing it wrong or they're doing a poor job now, but I think we're really ignoring like the resources we already have Yeah. and how simple that would be. And mm-hmm. it does address equity Yeah. in a really big way. So I just, you know, it's very interesting Mm -hmm. that we kind of don't think about things in terms of what do we already have? We're constantly like, what's the new thing that we have to build? What do we need? Yes. Like that's new. Yes. It has to be the brand new shiny, like toy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, 
let's like, let's reuse the toys we yeah. have, you know, it's got a hole in it. Let's stitch it up. Okay. Yeah. So quite, I don't know. Yes. Quite the metaphor. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think another big implication, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, is just people with disabilities and yeah. how we can create a city or a district that is accessible to not only those who are, you know, able to walk or able to bike, Mm -hmm. but everyone. And I think a lot of the times people with disabilities are left out of this whole conversation. Absolutely. It's something that needs to be addressed before it can really, you know, be implemented on a wide scale, I think. Yeah. But yeah. Then again, another, like the, it just leads down so many rabbit holes because of the, the state of our sidewalks now are horrendous. <laughs> like, I don't know how people with strollers, people oh, in yeah. wheelchairs navigate. <laughs> yeah. I, that's so embarrassing. I was, I was walking in downtown LA with my manager and she had taken me to like, she wanted to take me to a coffee spot and we were walking and I completely ate it because the sidewalk was so uneven that my foot like hit an edge I fell it was a whole thing I tried to get up fully fell oh I I ate it fully (laughs) fell got up so fast and I was like that is so unpleasant but could you imagine someone in a wheelchair. Um, I couldn't like, I just, it's just like just being an elderly person. Exactly. Like, could you imagine if an elderly person fell me? Like I still, I have 20 year old bones, so I'll I'll be fine. Yeah. You're 20. (laughs) Well, 23 year old bones. Um, (laughs) Oh God. Went back in time. Yeah. (laughs) It kind of caught me off guard. I was like, are we 20? (laughs) <laughs> well, 20 something year old. Yeah, bones. 20 something. My bones are in their 20s. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, but someone who is elderly, I don't know. Like, can they withstand a fall like that? I don't think so. That's not safe. So, you know, I just. My grandma. I, <laughs> step on a crack. Yeah. Break your mom's, break your mom's back. back. Oh, my God. God. Oh, my poor mother. Oh my God. I can't imagine. Like, Oh wow. That's so sad. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of things too. That's another thing actually that made me just, I, feel I like think I'm so chaotic. Like it's just and another thing, Yeah, <laughs> but it's all related to the 15 minute city. Yeah. So like we're going around, but we're all getting back. We're getting back to the we're 15 getting, minute city. Yeah. But I think before we even get to the new shiny concept of a 15 minute city, how about we start fixing some of the problems that we already have in our Mm -hmm. urban centers? Um, that's a big thing actually, like just even like thinking of the sidewalks right now, that just made me think we already have so many challenges. Maybe we Mm -hmm. should start addressing those first before we move on to a big new shiny project. Um, and then in smaller ways, like I said, implement some of the stuff out of the 15 minute, uh, cities theory. That's great. Mm -hmm. But a complete redirect in planning, I think that would be 
a problem. And I think like you and I have talked about the same thing with like the move to electric vehicles. That's yeah. a whole episode in and of itself, but it seems like we just move constantly to these new innovative, like really quick, like, let's just switch to that. And it's like, yeah. well, I think we need to think that through a little bit more first. Yeah. Um, and I think we kind of need to address the challenges that we're already facing, like on the ground right now in, in our state and in our cities. So to conclude the episode, Sam and I did want to give a shout out um, to this organization called Cul-de-Sac. So this is a designer, builder, and manager of a walkable community. And so we kind of wanted to do this shout out to give you essentially a case study if you wanted to see what an actual walkable city would look like or a city essentially replicated out through the 15-minute city framework. Um, So I'm just going to read the About Us section of Cul-de-Sac. So Cul-de-Sac is a real estate developer and property manager. We build neighborhoods that embrace community, open space, and mobility. We offer residential units at a variety of price points integrated with local retail, commercial uses, and open space for nature and public plazas. Our communities prioritize biking, walking, and transit over cars and parking. We partner with leading mobility companies to deliver convenient and affordable transportation services. This creates a vibrant urban lifestyle without the need for the private vehicle. So this essentially, Sam and I did not really do a deep dive into cul-de-sac, so we can't say from an urban planning perspective if this is very successful, but it is under construction now. And if you wanted to take a look, it does look really good. Um, They do have their floor plans up. They also have a residential guide where it kind of takes you through what the amenities are that they offer. And it is located in Tempe, Arizona. So if you want to move there, but you don't want to leave California, I'm so sorry. But this is just something for you guys to, you know, take a look at. And it it just seems really interesting. So I'm going to be looking some more. So it's on www.coldesac.com. You guys can get some more information from there. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not. <laughs>